0: Hey guys, welcome back to the BCM and the AM. It is your host, Zach, and with me today I've got the director, Rodney Norval. Hey everybody. And our special guest from Wallace Memorial Baptist, i got Chase Campbell. Happy to be here. And we've got a new special guest on, Corey Crabtree. What's going on, y'all? And so we're super excited because this is going to start us off with not only the second episode of the second season, which we're super excited we get to do this for another season. But it's going to start us off in a a series of three parts on false gospels. And I know what you're thinking, why do we need a series on false gospels? But it's actually becoming more and more relevant to college students that we talk about false gospels. Because with the age groups continuing to move on and the new, new age groups coming in, what we're seeing is less and less people actually know what the gospel says and know what the Bible stories actually say. So it's getting more and more important that we know what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. And so we're doing a three-part series on what the gospel isn't, basically. We're just titling it False Gospels. So our first episode is going to be on Mormonism. Now, when I say that, some people are like, that's kind of weird to do for college students. But the reason we're doing this one specifically in this series is because over the last year with COVID, a lot of the Mormon churches could not do because a lot of travel regulations, all their missions, sending people out. So in turn, they turned them locally and set them loose on college campuses to do their missions and things like that. So we are talking about it because we had a lot of college students that were talking with Mormons throughout the semester, and we had a lot of conversations about it. So this is going to be a resource for any college student who wants to come in and hear what are the differences between, you know, Christianity and Mormonism or Evangelical Church and the Church of Mormon, Latter-day Saints, you know, any kind of words you want to throw around that kind of thing. So that's going to intro us into the first question of this episode, which is what are some of the difference, differences Excuse me, between Mormonism and Christianity? What are the differences? There are a lot
1: of differences, but those differences sometimes aren't easy to spot. And I think one of the best pieces of advice I found while researching this is when you start talking to a Mormon is to ask a lot of questions first, because the author that I read said, if you find five Mormons, you'll have six different opinions on what Mormonism is. So just like in the evangelical world where we have lots of splits and denominations, Because of the age of Mormonism, they are starting to experience something very similar. Huh. So, when we talk about what are the differences between Mormonism, we're just going to say mainstream Mormonism. Uh, when we that's the Church of Latter Day Saints that's located where their headquarters is located in Salt Lake City. That is by far the largest group of Mormons if you want to think of them organizationally. So most of what I'll talk about today Mm -hmm. is based on what they believe in that organization. And Mm -hmm. I think that when it comes to Orthodox Christianity, what we believe and how it's different from them, the two biggest differences are who is God, and then how do we know him? And those Mm -hmm. are big, broad terminologies, right? Mm But Mormons believe that God was once a man. They have an idea that God didn't create the universe from nothing, that he was once a being, and that he ascended to a type of godhood, and that he simply rearranged what they would call spiritual matter. Uh, these are broad strokes, and I don't want to uh, insult anyone who is Mormon. and listening to this by oversimplifying. I'm just taking some some big broad strokes to help some people understand theology. But we believe that God has always been and will always be and that he has always been the exact same. Mm -hmm. He is unchanging forever. And they believe that God was at one time matter and then simply rearranged spirit matter Mm -hmm. to us. And so we were all, they can say, well, yes, we believe God's eternal because they believe spirit matter Mm -hmm. is eternal. When we're talking to Mormons and finding out the difference in theology, it's really important to not only say, what do you believe, but what do you mean by that? I think a lot of times people will say, well, they believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but they'll take that same phrase and they mean something very different by the Son of God than we do. I think the other biggest difference, and this is the difference between Christianity and everything, is that Mormonism is not a religion of grace. It is a works-based religion. They will say they believe in grace, but specifically there are different levels of salvation and reward that you can attain. Only a few people get what they call cast out into the outer darkness. Mm. And then there's different levels of some type of afterlife when you enter a spiritual realm. And those levels are based on the type of good works that you do. Mm -hmm. And so you have to attain a certain level, and then grace takes over for you once you reach that. So grace is more of a supplement. And we know from Paul's letters uh, to the Galatians specifically that Mm -hmm. grace doesn't work like that. Grace is all or nothing. It's either grace or a wage. You can't have a little bit of grace or it becomes a wage. I'd say those are the two biggest differences. And then... Of course, we have differences in our books. They have multiple holy books, and they believe that the Book of Mormon is a higher and more complete revelation from the Bible so that where there are contradictions, they say this is the complete revelation.
2: Yeah, That's the first thing that stuck out to me is the extra-biblical books and extra-biblical beliefs. That they have. We have the Bible as our scripture uh, that we take Old and New Testaments, um, but they do have additional books uh, the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, and from those, there are a lot of extra biblical beliefs that really aren't found mm-hmm. in scripture.
0: Yeah, and uh, Corey, you even said the part about um, grace versus works mm-hmm. uh, earlier on. You say what you say about that. Yeah,
3: uh, for sure. A major difference between Christianity and Mormonism would be salvation and what that looks like. You know, like Christianity will say in Ephesians 2, um, in Ephesians 2, by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself, mm-hmm. it's not of works, it's a gift of God. Uh, but the Book of Mormon will totally contradict that in 2 Nephi 25 23, where it says, by grace you are saved after all that you can do. And, you know, there's multiple instances of that within the book of Mormon yeah. that says, you know, you've got to do some works in order to earn God's approval. Um, but, you know, the scripture says in the Bible um, that there is no law. There is no works that can save you.
0: Our works are like filthy rags to Jesus. Yeah. So here's another like probing question. So is our Bible that we use the same as the Bible that they use? Like if, if we were to say like, you know, they have all these other texts mm-hmm as well, which is true, but what about if we just took the Bible? Is their Bible the same as our Bible?
1: Some Mormons will use a Bible like ours and say they believe that. The official Bible that the Church of Latter-day Saints is going to refer to is an incomplete translation of the 1611 King James. Okay, uh, They are going to have certain parts removed and cut out, much like Jehovah's Witnesses, where they changed specific words. Uh, it was just... Uh, It was a partial printing fragment uh, that they decided to use because this fragment had parts that did not disagree with what Joseph Smith said had been revealed to him.
0: Okay, okay. So we talked about, you know, a couple of the things about God being different. You know, what is one of the biggest things about Jesus? Because, you know, Christian faith, we kind of say Christianity is everything hinges on the cross of Jesus Christ. So, you know, where... Is that, where is there difference there? Because, you know, we, if we're going to claim that there's a big difference between Mormonism and Christianity, it's not going to be on the fringe details. It's going to be on the linchpin that we're going to see big differences. So,
3: yeah, a big difference. Um, I think you got to look at who Jesus is and, you know, we would say that Jesus is God, is God, not a God, but the God, and has existed from eternity past into eternity future. In the Book of Mormon and within Mormonism, they believe that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers, spirit brothers. But we know in Colossians chapter 1 that Jesus actually created Satan, where it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him, in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So a mm-hmm. big difference right there. Jesus, you know, we, we can go into that if we need to, that Jesus is God, not a God, and mm-hmm. that Jesus created Satan, that Jesus is not brothers with Satan, but rather Jesus created yeah. him.
2: And kind of a, even a harder thing that I think is they believe basically you can be, Jesus, you're created as an Adam and that you're created as someone who can become the savior of your world, which is really so extra biblical in that Mm -hmm. sense like Through your works through your good works and everything you can attain a different level of salvation To the point where you can actually become the Adam and Eve Which spouse is very important for them, you know Mm -hmm. marriage and other things like that. You can become the Adam and Eve of your next planet Kind of deal. And that's really extra biblical. We don't see any evidence of that in our scriptures, that that is actually what happens whatsoever.
1: That's one of the direct contradictions, actually, is they believe all family relationships, so whether it's marriage, mother, father, sister, brother, that all of that, that the family unit remains throughout eternity. And mm-hmm. so they believe you can actually pray for and possibly apply some sort of sanctification or salvation to sure. the dead. Mm-hmm. And that when you when you die, your family is going to remain. Now, practically working out, when we see that, they say, oh, these people are very family-oriented. And so they believe something very different. But on, when we practically apply it it kind of looks the same and so i think that's one of the reasons that people are often saying well i don't disagree with mormons we both have family values but the source of what that family value is can be very different i think another big thing that's different when it comes to jesus scripture god all of it is it can change at any time uh, Mormonism is a religion where they have a single prophet, what they would call a president. Mm-hmm. It started as Joseph Smith. It became Brigham Young. And then they have a, a lineage after that. But whatever the current prophet says, regardless of whether it contradicts the old prophet or not, that's what is going on because wow. they say he has a fresh revelation from mm-hmm. God. So we have a Bible that is completely unchanging. Mm-hmm. We have an embarrassment of historical record to yeah. say our faith has been like this for so long. Yeah. We've had councils and we've had a church that has fought wars over maintaining the correct Bible as to yeah. where theirs can change any given day. And so it's always and it, hard. And has. That's and amazing. has. Yeah. I
2: mean, they are, there have been revelations from their their prophet that they have had to change Based upon cultural changes and other things like that, which is very much against scripture.
0: For sure, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. So let's talk about because um, I kind of want to hit as as broad of a brush as we can hit. Mm-hmm. And so you know what what about the origins of you know what what if we say which I don't like doing this, but what if we say New Testament forward, let's not think about the Old Testament because we're going to go really deep if we go that far. But if we say New Testament forward, how do the origins of Christianity differ from the origins of Mormonism? Yeah, I think the main thing here is that
1: Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, is a historical religion. You can go to Israel and you can see... Exactly where Jesus walked, and you can open your Bible, and you're like, That place still exists on my map. Yeah, Uh, the resurrection of Jesus is the single most historically attested fact from that era. Like, we have, and that's an era of great history because the Romans were writing down every single thing that happened all over the world, but we still have the resurrection of Jesus and the church. We know exactly what happened as opposed to. Mormonism will say that during that same time that there were tribes uh, somewhere in the general North Central American area that also received a revelation from Jesus Christ. Those tribes are historically proven to not exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know who lived there at that time, and they did not look like Israelites, and they did not have the beliefs of Israelites And there is archaeological evidence that said, no, those people did not exist. Uh, And so Joseph Smith claims to have found this record several hundred years later after he prayed a prayer and asked God, which denomination, which church do I join? God told him, don't join any of them because they're all wrong. No one has believed anything true since Jesus left, that there was a great apostasy and everyone fell away. Mm -hmm. That's the... That's the historical origin, is a revelation to Joseph Smith with some tablets that he found after God led them to him when he prayed, which church should I join?
3: Okay. Yeah, that's interesting, Tom, um, that we can historically you know, see, the, see the differences and you know the origins of Mormonism. You know, um, It's that Heavenly Father came to Joseph Smith telling him that the church was corrupt and that he wasn't to join any of them, that none of them were good, none of them were teaching the right things, none of them were right. But we can go back and see the churches in that time were doing the right thing historically. We can see what people were around, what famous preachers yeah. and pastors. And, you know, it's, it's the Heavenly Father supposedly told Joseph that the church was corrupt and had felt fallen away. But Jesus said a long, long time ago that not even the gates of hell will overtake the church, mm-hmm. that the church will not be fallen away. Yeah, And so I think that's a really big difference as well.
2: Yeah. Uh, Mormonism is relatively young,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know. Christianity is going back over two thousand years, and basically, it's Mormonism is a twist on that. Um, And it's uh, when we look back to like Christianity as as its founding, the resurrected Christ appeared to hundreds of people, Mm -hmm. and the revelation to Joseph Smith was to one person. And so, there's just the the many people that you see behind the history of Christianity and the. Um, system in the scriptures and other things like that—it's verified multiple times by different people, whereas Joseph Smith's revelation is one person.
0: <laughs> yeah.
3: If I may say one more key yeah. key difference that I believe is who we uh, the Heavenly Father is—who have like we would believe that Heavenly Father also existed from eternity past into eternity future—and Mormonism, you know, respectfully would refute that that they believe Heavenly Father had a heavenly father before him that there's an infinite regression of heavenly fathers. But we can look into the book of Isaiah, you know, there's multiple scriptures like 4310 where it says, Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. 446, I am the first, I am the last, besides me there is no God. You know, God has said he there has been no God before him, nor will there be after. And that saying in Mormonism that says, um, as man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. You know, so it's claiming that we can become gods, just like Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the Bible would refute that as as false.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. And I think something really important to point out is um, the deity of Jesus mm-hmm. is is very important because I think that they can try and twist particular verses that we would point at to say Jesus was fully God and fully man, mm-hmm. and they would say, you know, He was a man that is you know going this route of the coming of God and it was like no you know we look in John 1 1 where it's talking about he was the word he was in the beginning he was there he was making everything happen he's the action one in all the creation you know like you said in Colossians where it says in through by with for is everything Jesus you know I think
1: that's one of the reasons that when we're asking questions and we're having conversations about our faith we can't just say what do you believe and take a surfacing answer yeah When someone gives us an answer, we have to care enough and have a good enough conversation to say, okay, what do you mean by what you say? Because if you ask a Mormon missionary that comes to your door, are we saved through Jesus Christ? They'll say yes. But what they mean by that is through his teaching and then through his example and then through the revelation that they believe that he gave to Native Americans— And so they don't mean the same thing we do. We believe that the death of Jesus Christ atoned for our sins, that his resurrection overcame that. And now that since he is God, he was the only one who was worthy to make that sacrifice. And they are not going to say that at all. They won't be able to agree with the linchpin of what we believe was necessary in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. So saved by Jesus means something different to them. So we always need to do do our work when we're talking to people and not have reductive thinking. False Gospels as a whole are almost always the result of reductive thinking. Well, let's oversimplify this to a basic concept to say we agree.
0: Yeah, there's something I remember from uh, philosophy class past is that defining the terms is... Like mm-hmm. absurdly important, and right, I think is. that that is something that we get ha- we kind of have to be careful with here, is because you know we're looking at something that originally was more of a twist on a, a Christian basis, and so it's a lot of the same verbiage that we use, but it's meant in a different way. Right. And so I think I think you're right. We kind of have to start probing. Over I more mean, than.
2: ultimately, I think this is why there's warning in our scriptures about false gospels, yeah. because uh, it. It's very easy to define differences when you use different terms, such as God, Allah, Muslim, Buddha. I mean, that's very easy. But when you're using Jesus and Jesus, but you're meaning different things yeah. by that, then it becomes much more tricky. And I think that's why our scriptures warn us about false gospels. Oh, yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. Agreed. And I think, you know, the last thing I want to look at with this question in particular um, is. Let's look at the end of the life of the first prophet of both of these. You know, if we are to look back at—what I mean by that? I don't want to sound archaic. What I mean by that is we look at the, the major prophets in the Old Testament and we look at the end of the life of Moses, his last going-away speech is all about the doctrines of who God is, and he's honored as this great prophet, right? And we look at Elijah, and the end of his life is marked by being swept up in a chariot of fire. And we look at Jesus, or hang on, let's go back. Let's look at John the Baptist, who died for his faith, right? And, you know, a, in a righteous manner, to say the least. And then we look at Jesus and we see how he died on the cross for our sins, perfect man, in, and put on display as the payment for us all. You know, how does that relate to the end of the life of the prophet? Joseph Smith, if, if we are going to call him a prophet, there is a marker that should be on the length of his life, even on the end of his life, that we should be looking for, if he is a marker of a new revelation, which we see in the Old and the New Testament. Yeah, the, the end of the life of Joseph Smith is, many
1: Mormons claim, is a martyrdom. He was actually being held, I think it's in Illinois, uh, in a jail uh, because as Mormonism grew, it became illegal, and they see this as becoming the persecuted people of God. Uh, and so there was actually a raid on the jail, and both Joseph Smith and his brother were killed. Uh, and people took this as his final sign that he will, his martyrdom proves that he was a prophet. And they said, oh, the prophets are martyred. Joseph Smith was martyred. Therefore, he is a prophet, uh. But it's one of those things where it's what we call... It's a self-validating narrative. Yep. He, Joseph Smith became antagonistic. They started having debates with the law, riots. He got killed, and it's this idea that if I can twist this one idea to fit my narrative, what's well, going to come back, and it's going to say, look, see, I told you this is what I was. Uh, Mormonism, especially with this idea of being persecuted... They have a lot of self-validating narratives where, yeah. if you disagree with me, you're just proving that I'm the persecuted right. people
0: of God. Yeah, that's why I think we have to be particularly careful, you know, when we're when we're speaking to to Mormons about faith and religion and and even philosophy of theology. Like, we, we can't come off as aggressive mm-hmm. because it's not going to be received. You know, not that, you know, if we're talking with somebody about theology, being aggressive is necessarily the approach we should always take. But <laughs> I'm just saying, in particular, if you're already thinking about martyrdom complex as, as somebody going out and doing a mission, you know, that's going to, I don't know, it's just going to reinforce the, you know, without having another way to say it, the lie that you believe. It's just, like you said, it's a self-validating narrative. Yeah. It just folds in on itself. It's like an echo chamber. You just keep hearing the same thing over and over. It and really over. is,
1: and you make this narrative to reinforce your echo chamber. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a type of logic that just becomes circular to where you can easily. It's so vague that you can bend everything inside of it to validate what
0: you feel about it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so let's move on to our next question. Many Mormons claim to be Christians. Why do we not agree on this? Particular terminology, like we said, they use a lot of the same words we do. A lot of them will claim to be Christians and they'll actually get pretty heated if you say that you don't agree with it. So, like, you know, why do we not agree with this particular phrasing? I'd say, I mean, you have to define the terms, like we talked about. we We have to
3: define Christian. What Christian means is little Christ, okay? And what is Christ? Who is He? What did He teach? You know, where Mormonism would claim, you know, you need to become gods yourself. And Jesus really taught you must deny yourself, actually, yeah. and make yourself less, not that you must become a God. And so, man, we really got to see, you know, who is Jesus? What did he say about salvation? And historic Christianity would say, like I said a moment ago, you know, you're saved by grace through faith, not by yourself and are not of your works. Mm-hmm. And then they would say, you're saved by grace after all that you can do if you uphold the laws and ordinances. And and do this and do that. And so I would say that that's why anything, not not just Mormonism, that claims to be Christian can't be in line with Christianity because
1: it's works-based. Yeah. I think it's a case of they would love to say that we can get along. Maybe the reason that they want to say or get upset that they say we're not Christians, maybe there's some good intention in that reason of, well, why can't we all just get along? Yeah. But... Christianity is a logical religion, and I know people would argue me on that, but it is. We believe that God set up the universe to work on the law of Mm non-contradiction. And we believe the Bible says one thing, and when they have the Book of Mormon and the Pearl of Great Price and the Revelations and the Covenants, Mm -hmm. all of those books are going to have progressive, contradictory revelations. They're going to have a prophet that can give authoritative contradictions— and it was they believe something different than what we do so two things cannot be the same thing yeah. if they are different that's a cannot equal not a yeah. in the same sense at the same time so we logically can't say that believing different things that we are the same thing, the same thing.
2: just because we use the same words i just think um, actually the church of latter day saints has has launched a very significant campaign to portray themselves as mainline Christianity. Mm -hmm. And in many places, I think we have, because we're a very ecumenical society, we have accepted that and said, hey, just because you call yourself a follower of Christ, you must be a follower of Christ. And so we have accepted that. But the basic tenet of what they believe is different. And that, I'm going to use the C word, that, that is what makes you a cult, is when you're not following the actual mainline tenets of what is believed about Christianity. You have the extra biblical stuff that's going on, and there's some rejection of things that are um, truth in the scriptures.
1: Yeah. Yeah, And I think that with their history, they often want to be said, no, we're just Christians, because they came to so much violence over being different. In the 1800s, the... Mormon church actually had a military that was one-third the size of the U.S. military. Wow. Wow! And that was the reason that Utah was rejected for statehood in the 1860s. That's fascinating. And it wasn't until the 1890s uh, when the ruling on polygamy came down Mm -hmm. that the Mormon prophets said, okay, we're going to make some capitulations so we can stop the violence and be accepted as a state and... There became a new idea of we're instead of we're the separate persecuted people of God and we're willing to go to violence because there was a lot of violence between Mormon camps and Mormon forts and other settlers out on the frontiers. Uh, it was a very tense relationship in what they would call the Mormon corridor, which we would know know as kind of like the American West at mm-hmm, that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so eventually, prophets got tired of that violence and they said no we are christians look we're using the same words as you stop trying to kill us please yeah (laughs) Yeah.
2: it's interesting too because when you think of even one of the main tenets of, of evangelical christianity is the spread of the gospel to other people and yet you see the mormon church often um running away from people because they had their own beliefs and they didn't you don't want to share or have those beliefs with other people. So that's kind of weird hmm. in, in its own sense. Yeah. To, I want to go back to the family for just a minute too, because I think this is a, a really hard thing for us to swallow. Um, Chase mentioned how well they are known for loving family. How I mean, like they don't drink caffeine even. I mean, there there's like some restrictions that they have on their family, on health and all those things I think are very winsome because they're very good things. And we have to remember in our scriptures that good doesn't save you. And I think that's the hard part for Christians a lot of times to say is, like they're a good family, they're a Mormon family, and, and they're, they're maybe, they may be good. That, mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I hope they are good. But good doesn't save us. It's belief in Jesus mm-hmm. Christ as our Lord and Savior and His forgiveness of our sins that He died on the cross for. That's what saves us, not oh. just being good. And I think that's one of the things that's particularly hard for mainline Christians to say sometimes to a Mormon is because by all aspects, we would love to be brothers. Mm-hmm. We would love yeah. to be alike. But um, you're looking at it and saying, hey, like, but we are different and these things cannot change. These are scriptural things that cannot yeah. change.
1: I think there's a lot of ideas if you take the spiritual part out of it, you take the theology out and you just look at like what is morality, mm-hmm. yes. a lot of the ways yes. that Mormon morality and Christian morality play out are very similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being family-oriented, being about good works, uh, abstaining from different types of drugs. Rodney mentioned caffeine. Mm-hmm. Uh, like in Salt Lake City, I know they that certain restaurants like that would normally have alcohol taps have fake ones on the wall. That are just props because mm-hmm. they're not allowed to sell it, but they're still making their restaurant yeah. look normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mormons are very civically minded. Mm-hmm. They are one of the most overrepresented groups in politics. They have more political representatives in elections and in public office than any minority group in the United States. That was true based whenever the. The uh, information was in my research. That may no longer be true, but it was <laughs> true at one point. But being civically minded, being about good works, being about public morals, when a Christian looks at that, sometimes we're tempted to go, all right, I don't want to fight that because it looks good, and I don't want people to think I'm fighting against something that looks good. Yeah. But we do have to love someone enough to where even something looks good, like you said, Rodney, good doesn't save. I care enough about you right to want you to have eternal
0: life to want you to know jesus yeah i think at some point we've equated love and good and taken truth out of it Mm. and that is hugely detrimental not just to believers and believing what's true but it's also hugely detrimental to our vision as a great commissioned people and i think you know a lot of this is just born from the fact that we want to avoid conflict and confrontation mm-hmm. as believers as much as possible. Mm-hmm. But that's really difficult because Jesus didn't call us away from conflict and confrontation. You know, He said you approach people with grace and truth. Yeah. He said you can bring them the truth. You can confront them in, in lies, but do it full of grace and not like a steamroller. You know. Yeah. And so uh, one of the things in particular that I wanted to hit was this verse and and. Philippians 2 3 through 11, and I'll read it real quick. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count yourselves more significant than yourself. Let each of you not only in his own, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I think that's really important for us but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I thought that was really important for a lot of things. One of them being... Jesus did not count equality with God something to be grasped. And I think that if we really think about motivations at the root of everything, if I think about a works supplemented by grace gets me Godhood, that is a wrong motivation in which I should be submitting myself to Christ, submitting myself to God. And as Romans says, it's not just the bad things we've done that condemn us. Or the good things we haven't done, but it's the good things that we've done with wrong intentions. And so we have to be really careful when we're drawing these good lines because, you know, I can say I'm good because I show the good things that I do, but the intentions of my heart, if they're not on the glory of the Lord, Isaiah says they're filthy rags. And if we want to get really technical, the Hebrew for that is soiled minstrel rags, like it's nasty what we're bringing to
1: the Lord. So I think we see in specific quotes we have in the later life of Joseph Smith that the idea of submitting and saying that Jesus is Lord, he did not go that direction because when he was talking Mm. about the great apostasy later on in his life, he said, no, my revelation is greater because there was the, he claimed that there was the great apostasy and we already went through, you know, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. So the Bible said that wouldn't happen. But he said... I am greater than Peter because everyone fell away. I am greater than John because everyone fell away. And he actually said that I am greater than Jesus because Mm -hmm. everyone fell away from his church, but my church has never abandoned me. And so when you have this, I attain works to attain Godhood, Mm -hmm. how can it lead us anywhere else but arrogance? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. verse in Philippians, everything Paul says in Galatians, if you read the Christology in Colossians, it's all about submitting to Jesus. Jesus humbled himself to submit to the Father as an example that we will submit everything to him yeah. because
0: when he did that, God put everything at his feet. Yeah. And maybe that's the bigger problem we have is not that we have such a problem with the differences between Mormonism and Christianity, but we have a problem with submitting to Jesus as Lord. Well, so, moving from that, you know, what does the Bible say in general? We've kind of touched on it already some, but, you know, about false gospels in total. Because this is, this is a series on, you know, we're touching Mormonism. I mean, when we say we're brushing with the broadest strokes, we're, we're being serious. We're covering as much as we can, as fast as we can. But 45 minutes to an hour does not even scratch the surface on what all we could go into. We could do this for days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know... On false gospels specifically, how does the Bible teach us to treat them? How do we, you know, walk out and negotiating how we deal with them? I don't know. Negotiating is a bad word for that, but you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, we we definitely need to let Scripture interpret Scripture. As I've heard it said before, you know, you can't just take one part of it and take it out of context and and use it and abuse it. And so here's just three Scriptures right here very quickly. Um, I think Paul addresses this very clearly to the church in Galatia and uh, Galatians 1, 6 through 6-9, where he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But here's something interesting. In verse 8, it says, But even if we or an angel... From the heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you a curse be on him or in the greek you know it's essentially saying let them be damned is what that would say um, as we have said before i say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive a curse be on him and it's interesting and slightly ironic that it says if we or an angel from heaven comes to you preaching a different gospel and who appeared to joseph mm-hmm. was an allegedly heavenly father and an angel named moroni an angel mm-hmm. appeared to joseph smith preaching a different gospel um, and Paul's very clear of, w- of what's wrong with a false gospel saying if somebody's coming to you preaching a different gospel you know let a curse be on him yeah. and then if you look over in the book of 2nd Timothy chapter 3 16 it says all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching for rebuking for correcting and for training in righteousness mm-hmm. and so we just use the scriptures when confronting a false gospel You know, we can teach, we can rebuke a false teaching, correct it, but Mm -hmm. also train it up. And so if somebody is following a false gospel, we can correct them very lovingly. And when they may see see rebuke, it's like, okay, we got to rebuke it, you know, be all hateful. But then also take 1 Peter 3.15 that says to always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Yeah. And so while a false gospel is very, very serious, it needs to be corrected. We need to do it with gentleness and
1: respect. Yeah. I think one of the key differences in when and how we deal with the false gospel is whether or not it's in or outside of our church. If you are talking to someone who you don't, who's a new friend, you don't know well, they're not part of a Christian church, and they're saying, "Is this true? This is what I believe." Well, they're they're still an outsider. First uh, Corinthians, Paul was saying, like, "Oh, if someone is immoral, if they have wrong belief, you've got to get them out." And then he comes back, and he's like. I meant that for people in the church. You have to deal with people who are outside of the church. You have to accept sin there, yeah. and then yeah. you can tell them it's wrong. Accept sin not as in it's good, but accept in in your relationship, and then they can be saved because Jesus heals the sin, not our argument. Yeah, right? no, that's good. Yeah, that's uh, good. And so when someone's outside the church, we need to come with them gently. Right. We need to stand on truth, and we need to not back down from that, but there's a gentleness and there's a way we listen to them and we befriend them that is very different than if you have a member of your church who is arguing with your pastor if you have if you have a church where a pastor begins to lose his way and starts to personally corrupt what he's saying mm-hmm. uh, and we've seen that in American churches like with prosperity gospel mm-hmm. there's something that is offered to that pastor um, monetarily in that case to be twisted. We see this with politics one way or the other all the time mm-hmm. where you can rally a bunch of people and get power over them mm-hmm. by saying something that is contrary to the gospel. And when those people inside the church are twisting the gospel, the Bible says we do not tolerate them. Hick mm-hmm. uh, calls them false teachers. Yeah. There's a difference between an unbeliever and a false teacher inside the church. That's a great point. Uh, and then Paul actually calls out that Satan sometimes comes dressed as an angel of light. So even if you agree with the application, if it's based on something false and it's being taught in your church, we can't tolerate that. It has to be yeah. completely consistent yeah. with what Scripture says.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think one—so one of the things I, I want to be really careful to, to say at, at every episode of this is mm-hmm. that Something that the Lord has been putting on my heart is that when we approach false gospels is that they deceive in two ways. The first is that they draw people toward them instead of drawing them toward Jesus. And then I think that the church can overreact and teach a wrong response to it. And so, you know, with Mormonism, we'll see there is a teaching that came from a guy that heard from an angel that this is how we should do this. And then I think that the church can respond and say, don't listen to anything except the word of Jesus and uh, the the bible itself and which is true we should listen to the bible itself but also we have the holy spirit guiding us in so many things and so we look at this and say you know I, if i can't trust what i think that the holy spirit's putting on me as a step of obedience to the lord what am i supposed to do and it just gets chucked out the window yeah and that's a big problem too because, I mean, we, I mean, I could back this up. First John 4, 1-6, through 6, it says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit. That's what we were just talking about. You don't believe everything. Don't believe every spirit, but test it. You test it against the Word. You test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For any many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard, was coming. And now is in the world already little children you are from God and have overcome them I want us to like hear that because it's not something that you know we have to fight back against it's like it's it's done it's been overcome you know it's not like we're sitting here saying how do we mount a defense against this how do we how do we mount a charge it's like it's done it's overcome you just need to know and many of the arguments historically like that we have to go
1: back and apologize for in the church is when the church overreacted, totally. and instead yeah. of yeah. addressing a false gospel by confidence in our stand, I mean, we have this whole medieval Christianity period that we didn't do too great for like 1,500 <laughs> years. I <laughs> think that's that's a generous... <laughs> a bit of an oversimplification. <laughs> there's all this terrible history of Christianity Uh, Whether it's the Inquisition or the Crusades where they said, okay, no, we're going to even fight this militarily. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you should have confidence in these words. And then you should test the Spirit and you should continue to talk to someone. And if we look at the life of Jesus, that is just over and over and over again. He eats with the tax collectors and sinners. Uh, The woman caught in adultery he doesn't back down on the truth even for a moment. He right. says, go and sin no more. I am not going to say, ah, it's no big deal. Yeah. He's going to say, it's I true. came here to fix this, but I can't say that it's okay. Yeah. Uh, so there's that confidence and that gentleness at the same time. Christianity is always about holding the tension between those right. two things, and we have to strive every day. That's that sanctification process. It's figuring out how do we get to that point where we look more like that attitude.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one of my favorite speakers says, oftentimes we find Christ situated in between two thieves, where one we go way too far one way and one we go way too far the Mm -hmm. other way. But Jesus wants us to be the balance of the two, the balance of the (laughs) force." There you go. (laughs) Anyway. Um, Something else from this verse I wanted to say, just real quick and then I'll, I'll move us on, but... It says, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I know a lot of believers that are actually scared of talking to Mormons because they think they'll be convinced and swayed in a way that they they <laughs> will, you know... I'll lose it all, right? I don't know if it's so much that or it's the scare.
2: I think people are scared of Mormons because they actually know what they believe a lot of times. Mm, yeah, Many Christians say that they believe in Christ, but they don't know Scripture. And so when you um, are faced with a missionary who's been on mission, basically arguing with people, many times Christians, because this is the United States. So, I mean, many times the people that they're arguing with are people that would call themselves Christians. And... Um, A Mormon quotes something or says something. Some of our people don't even know if that's from the Bible or if that's from the Book of Mormon or where that's from. And so I think a lot of it is just embarrassment. They realize in themselves that Mm -hmm. they don't have the wherewithal and know their own scriptures well enough.
1: (laughs) We have a generation to talk of people who dealt with some irresponsible styles of evangelism where whether it was at a bible school or at a summer camp they just raised their hand and someone said you're good you're a christian now Uh, and like if i could just give a slight commercial here for a while i love what you guys do at the bcm you're going to have the worship every week you're going to have people who live here you're going to have the life groups you don't get to raise your hand and say yeah that's me and then you guys say okay they're good i don't have to worry about them you're walking with them throughout a very difficult time of life, and you're saying, how was today? Are you learning more? And it's this ongoing discipleship where not only are you guys and then us at the church, we're teaching them together. This is what the Bible says. But we're talking about how to live it out, and we're holding people to account, and we are working with them on how do you live through this, and how do you develop a deeper understanding to where... Not just your knowledge, but the confidence in its reality and how it applies to life is there, and we have to do that as churches, so that people can have that confidence when they talk to someone. Like because Mormon missionaries
0: will know their information; yeah. they have studied well. Yeah, I mean, just like Jehovah's Witness missionaries, right? They're going to come up and they're going to know, you know, fifteen verses off the top of their head to be <laughs> able to to spout off to you, right? And it's not an exaggeration, like we. I also heard a speaker say something about like you know the reason we have such a problem dealing with false gospels in this day is because that most of us only have a one page knowledge of what the Bible actually has in it. Right. Right. And I was like, that hurts. Yeah. You know? yeah. If you say you believe
2: it, I mean, that's the bottom line with discipleship. And um, if you say you believe it, you need to know what it says. You can't just say I believe this and never have read it. And so, as Christians, we really need to be in the yeah. Word. This is mm-hmm. why, because. Sometimes differences are very subtle. Satan is very subtle. Like, Satan is bold enough to quote Scripture back to Jesus when he was tempting him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but twisted it. Yeah. Such right. that if Jesus didn't know, he is the Word, so he knew the Word. But if Jesus didn't know the Scripture, he'd be, like, nodding his head, going, Oh, yeah, that's what the Bible says. And instead, Jesus is like, but... <laughs> like. This is what it means. You know, this is what... And so as Christians, we we don't need to be naive. We are supposed to be intelligent. We are supposed to read the scriptures and pray to the Holy Spirit to guide us in what that interpreting that. And so I I just encourage folks never to be afraid of defending their faith, but also be diligent in learning so when the time comes, you can defend your faith. That's good.
0: So I want to hit a couple things as we... Start winding down, you know, what are some of the most important things when, uh, it's going to sound kind of funny, but when reverse witnessing, oftentimes the Mormon will find you, you will not find the Mormon, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, what are some things to, to remember?
3: Yeah, I would say, you know, I, of course I want to say love them. You know, that might be an oversimplification. <laughs> it's, true. It, it's It's true. It is true. It is true. You know. But very practically, sometimes loving them is showing where error is. Yeah. And not to shy away from debate and arguing. Now, when I say debate and arguing in 2021 America social media age, they think of <laughs> mudslinging, but you know, like yeah, Chase yeah, and yeah. I have had it's this slander, conversation, right. yeah. slander, that sometimes debate is like sport. And, you know, I'm yep. thinking of like Socrates with the Socratic mm-hmm. method. Right. Discuss, find out why you believe what you believe. You know, the Apostle Paul multiple times went to the temple courts for multiple days, vigorously debating, is what the scripture mm-hmm. says, the truths mm-hmm. of Christ. And so I think it's okay to do that. Yes, we want to love them, but sometimes loving means showing where there is error. But now I say that, um, I don't think just anybody should try to debate a Mormon. If you're a baby in your faith, you know it's probably not going to end up well for you. So, So be diligent in knowing why you believe what you believe before you head into something like that, but to do it with gentleness and respect, like I said. So I think debate and arguing is good when witnessing to a Mormon. However, sometimes... Even if they admit that you're right, they will tell you this has happened to me. That they're not going to listen to me because they've had a burning in their bosom is what they the terminology mm-hmm. that shows that they had a, like a, that God affirmed what they believe is mm-hmm. true, even if their feeling contradicts objective
1: truth. The idea of personal testimony that's it. in Mormonism is huge for them, mm-hmm. and it's the idea that when you have this personal experience that is referred to as the burning in the bosom. Uh, what we might call an encounter with the Holy Spirit mm. in Christianity you're, like I said we're talking about two uh, things that are supposed to be similar but the big difference is Mormons can have contradictory testimonies contradictory to what their books say to what each other say as opposed to in, in Christianity we're going to say I have this testimony yeah. and then the entire church we're going to bring into the church and they're going to say is does that align with Scripture? Yeah and if that aligns with scripture, then we say yes. So showing a Mormon that your testimony, one, valuing their testimony, hearing it. Yeah. Hear, if, if you hear their testimony out, you have immediately established a rapport with them. Yeah. Uh, and then you give them one in return. Mm-hmm. And when you realize when they realize, oh, he values family too, why doesn't he believe what I believe? Then you can talk about, well, objectively Mine aligns with Scripture, and it does not seem as if yours does. Mm. Um, So letting them tell you their personal testimony, asking questions. Most Mormons, if they've been in the church for very long, have had some sort of, especially if they grew up in the church, then they took time to be missionaries or teachers. Mm -hmm. They're used to being in the seat of a teacher, and if you ask them questions, then that will open doors of places in their theology where you can talk about what the Bible says. Yeah. Uh, asking questions and developing that rapport. And I think when it comes to how do we deal with people, and this is just evangelism in general, let's remember that very few of us were converted to Christianity through doctrinal logic. That's right, right. 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 right, right. Yeah. And very few people will be converted to Christianity by biological argument. And they may agree with it and go, man, you are right. But I'm not converting
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> because of this huge emotional pull. And for Mormons specifically, it's that pull of family. Mm. If you have lived for 18, 25 years hearing that your family is eternal and that your bond with the church is your bond with this eternal family... Mm. That is an emotional connection wow. that you yeah. cannot expect uh, one line of logic to overcome. Yeah,
0: no zinger's going to get them through. Yeah. That, huh? uh, oh.
1: We live in a world where, like, a tweet or a meme and we're like, oh, I burned you. I've won this <laughs> argument. Like, that's not going to overcome. I mean, the feeling of I'm connected to family, yeah. that's, that is our, our base yeah. level existence yeah. as a human. Like, if you go back to cavemen, like, that's there. Yeah. There is no overcoming that outside of the Holy Spirit and we share the Holy Spirit with them through continued interaction through respect, talk about the things we agree on, whether it's being civic minded, family, morality. and they will wonder, why is this person believing something different but they don't they're not part of my church. Yeah uh, You have to make them doubt their testimony, before they will ever hear any type of logic mm. and that has to come from inside and from the holy spirit working in them so i say remember that we're not converted through quick logical arguments yeah. the
0: fact facts do not convert people the holy yeah. spirit does yeah, we had a lot of students that were talking with mormons last year that would just get so frustrated because they're like they will like we'll even have this argument and they'll they'll admit that i said something correct but then they just keep saying that they had this testimony and, and like I don't know how to deal with that and I think that's really good advice that you said where um you said I listen to their testimony, like hear them out, hear hear what's going on with them. You know, I think something that we have to remember too is, you know, I I would love it if our students would catch fire for this and and, and listen intently to what is going on and not just think about what's the punchline I have coming next. Mm. Because, you know, we can sit here and we could probably debate on, and we already said this, we could debate on this for days. Yeah. And the reality of it is, is that we already talked about what the linchpin difference is, and that's Jesus. And if you really want to talk differences, that's where you head, you know? Um, and so I think resting on the deity of Christ is something that is so important for believers that are talking with with Mormons, to see the difference of that. But I do think, like Chase said, you have to approach it from a place of, this is a person, not a project, that I'm trying to embark on. This is not like a a problem I'm trying to solve.
1: And this is a place where we very specifically have to follow the example of Jesus when they would hurl insults at him Mm. and he would remain calm. Because, especially with a Mormon, the moment you turn to anger or insult, you have bought into their self-affirming narrative that mm-hmm. they are the persecuted people of God and you are persecuting them. Mm-hmm. They, they have a way built in to deal with that. And so we mm-hmm. need to have that confidence to where we don't resort to anger, where we don't resort to insult, where we maintain
0: that calm
1: and that continued love for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And so... I will surprise you guys with one question. I had one person to ask All right. this one. So answer it best you can. Why does it feel like they're better at missions than we are?
3: I think it seems they're better at missions than we are because I think they're discipled a whole lot better in their church. Point the finger at myself here and us than we are in our churches. I think they truly believe it to be true, and they are all in. You don't really find too many Mormons who are one foot in, one foot out. Mm. They're all in, and I think if we were to go all in as Christians with the Holy Spirit on our side, I think we would we would see a lot happen right there. Which that's a podcast in and of itself. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
2: like my immediate answer to that is. Uh, is one of the truths that we spoke earlier. It is by grace that mm-hmm. we are saved, and it is not of our works.
0: Mm, that's right.
2: But it does benefit you when you're trying to disciple people. If you inject a little, you can earn your salvation. Mm-hmm. Because then people get more serious about it. And mm-hmm. so, like, yeah. I mean, I do believe the biblical truth that it is it is by faith, and it isn't by our works. But lording over people to convince them of that, that creates better workers in many times mm-hmm. because many times I'll just be honest with you. People are like, I'm saved. Therefore I'm done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wish they would listen more to the Holy spirit that would tell them, mm-hmm. but I have this mission for you. Yeah. And I, all the time I'm trying to challenge our students to like, you, The reason that many Mormons can defend their faith is because they've spent two years arguing it on their mission. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no question when we have disciples like within the BCM that decide to do summer missions or decide to do a mission trip and places where they share their faith, their faith grows. They're stronger every time they do that. And so that's one of the strengths that the Mormon Church has that we don't have as much of because I think that we often— in, in preaching our truth, we give them the, the out, and they're not mm. listening to the Holy Spirit that's prompting them to be on mission.
1: I think yeah. sometimes so. we expect too little of the church. Mm. He, American church specifically, uh, Our we have this checklist. Did you come on Sunday? Mm-hmm. Did you give... Did you give to the budget? Did you show up at at least one Wednesday night this month? Mm. All right, as long as you've checked these boxes, you're good. As to where a Mormon, if a Mormon child is raised in the church, they know from the time that they can hear the faith that they're going to be expected uh-huh. yeah. to give two years to missions, mm. and they've been raised with that expectation. Yeah. As to where we often have this very light expectation of okay well do you want to go to church this weekend is this something you want to do and so there is just a level of expectation if you look at the early church their doctrine is right on you are completely saved by grace but then their expectation was that you're going to go out and share Mm -hmm. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to do hard things for our faith. If you look at the persecuted church around the world, places like China, um, parts of Africa, in the Middle East, there are people who are ready to—they have the expectation that even though it's dangerous, I am going to be sharing my Mm -hmm. faith. And so sometimes I think that our comfort has given us a lack of expectation— And so raising the expectation, which I think Jesus does and the Bible does, raising our church organizational expectations uh, to match the Bible, I think we would be right along there with Mormons. I think they raise the expectations from a very young age, and that's why sometimes it seems like they're
0: better because they've grown up in that world with that consistent expectation. Yeah, and I think to some extent... You know, we, if you look at some of the biggest missionary movements throughout the evangelical church, there, there was kickback from people that didn't want them to go. And I think that that plays exactly into what you said about like our comfortability affords us, you know, where, where we live affords a, a comfortability. And that comfortability it can ooze into the church and, and kind of pollute the thing that we need to be doing and, and responding to the great commission that Jesus gave us. And so I think that uh, certain movements I'm particularly talking about is there was a missionary out of England that was sent out, and he went to, um, I think it was Northern Africa, and the revival was experienced across the entire country because he went. But the church that he came from was offering to buy him houses and cars and saying they would slander his name if he left to go to these people instead of staying and teaching with them. Mm, Wow. And... He was saying, "I cannot deny the call of Christ on my life," and goes, "Wow!" And so, you know, where you know, we we need more of that in the church today, especially because you know, we're all wanting revival again in the church. I mean, that's that's what we're all aching for. And so, if we want to see that, we I think we have to have higher expectations. We've got to be willing to listen to the Spirit for what He's asking us to do, and we got to be steeped in the Word to. To know and grow and share the gospel of Jesus as we go. Well, it's been so awesome. Thank you guys so much for. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. It's a great time. Yeah. So please come back, check us out next week as we dive into the false gospel of prosperity gospel. So we love you guys. Thank you for joining us. Please like, subscribe, do all the things that we need you to do. See you later.